When the drink, alu or ale, has been the vessel of connectivity, then what about the vessel of the vessel of connectivity? All those drinking horns and cups and cauldrons and ale balls and other drinking vessels that has, have been there throughout history. On July 20th in 1639, a young woman named Christine Schweinsdorter stumbled on something as she was on her way to the town Turner in southern Jutland. What she found is almost difficult to describe. The poets tried. And trembling uptaketh with wandering sprite from the dingy mold with hand snow white, the ruddy gold, a gentle thunder peeleth the whole north wonder feeleth. The golden horns of Galahus are amazing. The big horn uh, was made out of more than three kilos of gold covered with strange symbols that even today baffle the scholars. It's not certain exactly whether they were instruments or drinking vessels, but I'm inclined to the last suggestion. Because all kinds of different cups, containers, and horns have been found throughout history and they continue to hold importance through history and even up close to today. Almost matching in magnificence to the golden horns is the Gundestrup cauldron, a silver cauldron likewise covered in apparently ritual scenes and symbols. Other finds have been made comparable, though not comparable in magnificence, such as the Bro cauldron, the Rönkebü cauldron, and the Sophienborg cauldron. These are remarkably not made in Scandinavia like the Golden Horns. These cauldrons are imported craft of Celtic origin, which would suggest some kind of import or at least a shared cultural meaning around these cauldrons. And, and the Celtic peoples actually were really into cauldrons. One example uh, was the cauldron of knowledge, inspiration and rebirth, belonging to the mythic sorceress Keridwen. And Welsh mythology also knows the pear Dardani, a cauldron of rebirth. And there are other examples of these magic cauldrons. Uh, the Irish fertility god Dagda owns a cauldron of plenty, which sounds a little bit familiar to Greco-Roman ideas of the cornucopia, a horn of abundance. These cauldrons may be somehow related to all these sources and wells that play an important role. And this is something that you also see in Norse mythology, where the perhaps most monumental myth uh, talks of the Odhrerir, the mind steerer, and how Odin wins this skaldic mead by seducing it from Gundlath. Significantly, there are three cups which in my dialoguing with the, this ancient material, seems to uh, apply to the three interweaving horns that are found, for instance, on the Snalelev runestones, um, 
a stone which seems to commemorate a Thule, a kind of priest of Odin. And this horn shape is particularly important in, uh, in the north. Scandinavians, it seems, took this container symbolism uh, in the direction of the drinking horn. And uh, to my mind, this has some really, really deep symbolisms. The ritual toasting with drinking horns is one of the clearly attested heathen ceremonies. Snorri describes a bloat at Earl Sigurd's court in northern Norway, where three fires were supposed to burn during the bloat sacrifice, and then the full horns were to be carried around the fires. The officiating priest should then drink three offering toasts. Drinking horns remained really important through, uh, throughout history, uh, into Christianity, the medieval guild culture uh, basically retained uh, Viking Age ceremonial toasting practices, and they were sometimes using drinking horns. As we know, the King Olaf Tryggvason, the Christianizer of Norway, didn't ban heathen holiday drinking. He just ordained Christian holiday drinking on Christian holidays close to heathen holidays. So these drinking horns basically stayed in use. Often guilds have their own particularly sacred cups or often horns, perhaps meant for a specific celebration, or noble royal families. One example uh, is the Norwegian King's Horn, which ignominiously is still kept in the National Museum in Denmark. But there are many beautifully crafted horns, uh, and these objects were clearly given great attention. But traditional knowledge also seems to reflect on the transfer of this vital animist ritual into Christianity. There are a lot of stories about the theft of horns or cops. These stories could reflect a traditional knowledge notion of Christianity sort of taking something while perhaps simultaneously expressing Christian sort of adverse grappling with the heathen such sacrality of this uh, toasting uh, ceremony. Consistent legends talk about how elves dancing in an open hill offer a drink to a lonely traveler. He then knows that this heathen drink is dangerous, so he throws out the drink and escapes with a golden cup or horn. This story is found throughout folklore, where cups or horns taken from the elves are then typically kept at farms as a sacred holiday cup, or there are even cases where they're brought into church and used as a communion cup, like, like a cup stolen from the heathen spirits, the elves, used as Christian paraphernalia at, at, the, at the very communion, communion sacrament. It's, it's quite uh, remarkable, actually. One illustrious example of such a stolen cup is the Oldenborg horn, which belongs to the Danish royal house, and according to myth, it was acquired in exactly this way by a Count Otto, who was offered this horn on, on a hunting expedition by some forest spirits. He threw out the heathen drink, but kept the horn. There is a similar legend in Norway, where the Christianizer King Olaf Tryggvason uh, was given two Odenic horns at a Yule feast. Now these two horns were named Grim, which is a name for the god Odin, and they were brought by two mysterious men, also named Grim. A priest then vanquished the heathen power of the drink in these horns, but Olaf kept 
the horns. You see, there's a process going on here where Christianity is being imposed on these ancient animist motifs. It's almost like a metaphor. You throw out the heathen content, the heathen essence, but then you keep the container, which of course is also something, you know. Um, something of that sort seems to be these expressed in these myths of somebody literally stealing sacred vessels from elves in a mound. The spirits of the land, basically, taking that sacred vessel into the heart of the culture, to a royal family or even into church. It very much reminds me of a story that you sometimes encounter in parts of Africa, where people sometimes would be telling you that particularly successful, uh, charismatic evangelist uh, preachers have probably paradoxically made some traditional animist fetish in order to empower their Christian agency, right? You also find this notion of the somehow charged drinking vessel in the notions of the Holy Grail, which becomes a thing in medieval uh, European mythology. It is this idea that there is this incredibly sacred cup in Christian mythology, and it's very characteristically Northern European. It springs from the 12th century work of Chrétien de Troyes, um, where an enigmatically unfinished stories sports this mysterious Graal, which in French style, it's actually a platter of sorts. Uh, and then uh, in the following centuries, this Graal or Grail uh, becomes sort of this ultimate Christian relic, that real cup that Christ used at the Last Supper, containing his blood, which was then also used to, to catch his blood from the, the, the wound in his side, right? So the ray, grail in, it, in itself is, of course, this huge and fascinating topic. Uh, the roots of this motif, some refer it to the, those Celtic uh, cauldron mythologies, but I actually think that it might as well be seen as rooted in Nordic Germanic culture, uh, where this whole courtly to toasting thing was such an important element and where sacred vessels uh, are a core element. This might be a topic for an entire video, probably an entire study, it's, you know, in itself. But I can't help thinking that, you know, from the Odinic perspective, of the sacred cup, the three horns of initiation on the Snarlalith stone, the Odreirir. This whole complex look very, it looks very aligned with this Arthurian idea of a religious brotherhood of warriors centered around a sacred king, you know, the knights of the round table, and then their ultimate quest is, in a sense, that cup of Ottar, the Udinic initiant in the Hunlothjoth, the, the Edic poem that um, I believe describes, um, expresses an Odinic initiation. But in the Arthurian legend, this is now lost to them as Christians. So they can only kind of fantasize about this now lost, you know, container of the blood of Christ. The Grail story is perhaps not actually a story of Christian appropriation of the vessel, but rather a story about the Christian loss of the essence experienced. And now they, you know, when they only had the empty vessel, in a sense. Uh, the Hynlulio, this Eric poem, actually describes Otta's uh, experience of drinking from the grail. So please read it. Please do read it, you know. And that is the experience which, in a sense, is lost in Christianity. That real vessel it reduced to 
kind of an old wives' tale. You know, the power of the initiatory drink seems to be lost because how could it be there? It would be it would completely outshine the most sacred sacrament of all, the actual Christian communion, right? And that is probably part of the reason that the the Grail is lost. Yeah, it's bit of speculation here. But if you read the Hunlulyod, you get an image of that wisdom whose loss I think that the Grail myth laments. The cup given by the troll woman to the initiant otter contains poison. His world is destroyed, but then is transformed by the goddess into the blessing of Ottar as an Odinic initiant, which is inscribed into relation with the uh, other-than-human community of beings. But in their own ways, people actually struggled to maintain the sacred vessel. Uh, in Norway, uh, people developed a particularly beautiful tradition uh, of vessels for common drinking ritual, the so-called ale balls. And they are incredibly interesting pieces of culture because these are objects that have a voice. Because there are inscriptions on them where the ball itself speaks and what voice they have. I am one of the best ale balls. Drink from me, but remember to breathe. <laughs> Last year I stood in the grove. This year I've been made into a bowl. My name is Fool Mind. Hoog hail, perhaps heal mind, heal mind or something. God grant us a fertile year. Bless both cows and sheep. Rejoice, my friend, with beer and food, and be loving to one another without hatred. Drink beer from me before it stales, and take your lover in your arm before you fall asleep. <laughs> These balls speak. And their messages are filled with humor and wisdom and wishes for a good life. Also sometimes religious piety and prayers. These prayers sometimes closely match, actually, prayers recorded in the Viking Age for the king and for peace and pr prosperity, the uh, typical heathen prayer for Ars og Friedre. Uh, sometimes these uh, drinking balls express very similar concerns. People would drink of these balls, either passing them around or taking from them with a ladle. Ladle? 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 And particularly this, this very recent tradition uh, strikes me as available for uh, contemporary uh, recovery. Like, if you look at the Gondesrup cauldron, you have a piece of 2,000-year-old uh, culture and imagery, and it's very difficult to understand, right? But these Norwegian ale balls, they are clearly a very animist object, and they're almost contemporary. They're rather recent. And these speaking objects who express how they used to be a tree that they were then made of, this points to a very animist brand or modality of sacrality in the material that they're made of. It is materially that. And this tradition of inscribing these ale balls with prayers that are basically agenting the drinking, the ceremonial drinking with something, there's a ritual agenting, agenting in those prayers, that looks like something that could very much be reapplied today. So yes, I have learned to be a little bit cautious 
about what I promise you with the Arlo project because this project gives me a little bit of resistance. It's a bit more difficult for me to make things happen with it that I've thought it would be. But who knows, one day perhaps I'll try to make a contemporary animist ale ball. Thanks for listening and see you around.